Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Zach Gray is more than simply a white guy from Michigan. He is very intentional about empowering individuals and families to reach their fullest potential. In Zach's Psychology Today profile, he says, Our stories and life experiences are valuable and important. They inform the way we navigate and see the world. Zach believes it is possible to find healing and create change in one's life in a way that helps you find the best quality of life. Zach has lived through it and come out on the other side. I believe that we are worth all of the hard work to get to where we want to be. My clinical interests include trauma, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, interpersonal dynamics, substance use needs, relationship issues, anger management, self-exploration, and identity development. I am intentional about creating a safe and accepting space for individuals of all different backgrounds and walks of life. Cultural competency is important to me and it is something I consistently learn about both through education and the stories from individuals within my community. I will value and respect your life experiences. Please join me in welcoming Zach Gray to change the narrative with J.D. Fuller. Let's jump right into it. So let's start by explaining a bit about who you are, all right? Because I always okay. like to give a little background on how people got to be who they are. So sure. how did a white guy from Michigan decide to become a clinical social worker, first of all? Yeah, it's funny. I just had this conversation with a client today. So I grew up in northern Michigan. Uh, just under the Mackinac Bridge. And I did not know what social work was because I grew up in a small town. I got to school, you know, and I just didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then someone introduced me to social work and I was like, okay, yep, that fits. I knew that I was good at building relationships and talking with people. And then I was like, all right, let me give this a shot. So then I got into the social work classes and I was like, oh yeah, Okay, this fits for sure. And so what what in your family led you to that, though? Families, particularly with males, are kind of specific. They can be pretty brutal about what it is you should be doing. Did your family just fall in line with that or what? Yeah, yeah. My parents were very supportive of that. The way I got into social work was on my own childhood trauma, but I'm not going to trauma dump right now. (laughs) No, no worries. Seriously, if you've ever watched any of the interviews I've done, basically I have a disclaimer that says, and I say this to clients as well, trust me, none of us got here because we're just, you know, good hearted people who just happen to be curious (laughs) about the field. Right. That's real. (laughs) We Um, all have a story. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of mental health in my family that kind of led me to jump into the field. So I was like, oh, I think that I can empathize with what a lot of people are going through. So so you were you had not only a, a empathy, but you also must have had a curiosity about where it all came from, like how it started, you know, oh, yeah. and all of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love to learn. And it was just, I'm not sure why it clicked with me, I guess, but just getting to know, I guess, the theories and the people that are involved in the work and just seeing how important the work is really just struck a chord in me, you know? 
Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, when it hit, when it hits, it hits. So yes. In terms of theory, what what comes to mind as what grasped you first in the work? Do you recall? Oh man, it's been a while. Yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, I just, I think really like person-centered is really what clicked for me because I was just, again, talking to a client today and I said, some therapists come in, they're very regimented, they have specific plans on what they want to do and they're very just straightforward about the way they operate. And I mean, I'm straightforward too, but I just, to me, the person is the expert on themselves and that's, I'm there to listen to their stories, to make sure that they feel heard and understood and validated. And so just that approach to seeing a person in a holistic manner and just as they are as a human being, I feel like in this, in this field, um, seeing kids come fresh out of school, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And I think a lot of times people look at the people they work with, I really hate the word clients or consumers or any other thing that, you know, people use, but I go with it sometimes because that's the name of the game. But uh, I just, I always try to remind myself, I've either been in a similar position as them, or I'm always just a half step away from being right where they're at. Yeah, I feel you. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm going to jump to your social media. So okay. your TikTok with over 100,000 followers says abolish white supremacy. Yeah. And on your Insta, you have a picture of yourself in a t-shirt that says, Black women are dope. Yep. And your Twitter leads with, no justice, fuck peace. How and when did you get to this place? Oh boy. Okay. I was trying to tell my people I wouldn't cuss on the podcast, but nobody thought that I could do Good luck it. with that. Okay. Yeah. That's what they all said. <laughs> but honestly, I'll start in 2019 and it might sound like it doesn't connect, but I'll connect it. Okay. So I got a traumatic brain injury after an MMA fight and um, everything kind of unraveled after that. All my meds that I take stopped working. I just pretty much, I was very depressed. I was kind of lost my identity. Well, I guess I hadn't even really found it at that point, but uh, the more that I went through physical therapy, vestibular therapy, speech therapy. And the more I healed from that, I started to deconstruct my Christianity. And I had been in the church for a long time, done everything in the church, whatever. And it really clicked with me that in the church, they do not, in the churches that I've experienced, the white churches I've experienced specifically, they never addressed social issues they never addressed white supremacy, racism, whatever, which, of course, the church has a direct hand in. And I really started to feel uncomfortable. And I never really felt like I fit in the church for most of my life. But regardless, my ex-wife and I, just to back up a little bit, had been foster parents for a while and took in kids in our community with the idea that we'd help reunite them with their family. And two of my children that we ended up adopting from foster care ended up not having family that could take them after, well, that's what they tell you, you know how the system works. And so we, like I said, we adopted them. So my daughter is Latina, my son is black. And so fast forward back through 2019, we get into 2020. And when we start 
with Ahmad Arbery, that really started to stir something up inside. And then we got to George Floyd, and that's where, ooh, um, when I could, something happened inside of me where I could see my son's face in this experience, and something broke, and I could never go back to where I was before. And I had spoken out on just social justice issues and stuff beforehand, but like I, I talk a lot about just taking the gloves off and then Brianna Taylor. And then, so that radicalized me. But then when I got down to Louisville, I remember I was just got a new job at a place I'd been before, but I came in a new position and I heard the news regarding Brianna Taylor case. And I just knew that like I had to go. I could not stay in my office and not do anything. Now there were two organizations from Michigan that had already gone down there, Justice for Black Lives. And at that point it was Black Lives Matter Muskegon, which is where I'm from. And so me and another guy that I had just kind of knew around the community, we decided to head down. And once I got to Louisville and I saw what, like, it, it felt like it was a war zone, um, just boarded up building, uh, buildings, fenced up city. Hardly anyone was down there. They had the National Guard, armored vehicles, all this stuff. And I always remember, always, always remember this first experience with one of the community leaders down there. We were all circled up and he was talking. He said, if you are scared, go the fuck back home. And at that moment, I realized this is different than any other experience that I've had. Because I helped organize kind of behind the scenes up here in Michigan, some protests and some other events in Michigan. And but when I got down there, it's a real deal. And then everything I experienced down there just turned me militant about everything. And I couldn't, I still feel the fire from those experiences and, and understanding that we're here for a very short amount of time. And the issues of white supremacy and racism and justice their life or death. And I need as a white person, other white people to understand that we can't just have gentle, calm conversations about things that are taking people's lives. And so I took the approach that I did. And I guess that's how I ended up here. Okay. So in that one response, you brought me to tears. You have changed the whole order of my focus. And okay gotten me completely curious about MMA, which I feel guilty about loving. So oh, I, I want Jack to come forward. I mean, wow, a dramatic brain injury. That's yeah. serious shit from uh -huh. the that is devastating and yet amazing all at the same time. Absolutely. How do you feel about it now? I love it. If I if that, if that hadn't happened and I already I did sports my whole life. So if I hadn't already had multiple concussions before that I'd do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat. And I know this might be hard to believe, but I'm a very intense person. So I, no, I yeah, believe me, intensity recognizes yeah. intensity. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so uh, putting myself in a position to test 
the absolute extremes of my physical and mental abilities was it's something I'll never forget when the cage locks and there's no way out, you got to fight through it. And that just, yeah, that was an amazing experience. What a metaphor for what you decided to become in terms of an abolitionist. Honestly, mm-hmm. it sounds like to me, metaphorically, you've already had the training to prepare you for it. And, you know, yeah. a couple of things you touch on that are super important to me are, you know, it sounds like one of those commercials, like, I have a lot of white friends. But the uh, thing is that my problem is there's a lot of empathy or apologies about white supremacy, but not enough fire and action for mm-hmm. the community, even those, that I, even those that I love dearly. Yeah. There's just not enough. I mean, that's the bottom line. You get to the point in your life that my age, you know, being 64 this year, it's like, I just, I, I'm just tired of the bullshit. Like, yeah, I'm tired absolutely. Of, you're not about that life. I, I, I have to create distance. Yeah. I appreciate how you got there. And most importantly, you know, people who have adopted black children and they don't have this fire and I don't fucking get it. I don't, I don't get it. How do you look at a, at a black face you love and not feel and experience what you experience, Zach? I, I need you to help me understand that if you, if you have any idea. Well, this will segue into my last marriage and I have to be careful about how much I speak on this because I run my mouth so damn much. (laughs) My ex-wife's attorney put it in the orders that I have to be careful what I say, which is funny. But this was the issue with my ex-wife is that I had taken a stance with my family and her family said, if you are going to in any way support people, I don't care who it is that espouse like white supremacy or that are openly racist or whatever, you will not be in my children's lives. Now, I know I cannot protect my children from racism. I know them, but they're so young. And I said, I am raising a black child and a Latina child. We are not raising white children and you cannot see them as that. I need you to recognize their, who they are as a human being and I needed my ex to stand with me on that. And we just saw things differently. And I had this conversation so many times, just what you're talking about. I said, how can you look at our son? Look at what's going on in the world. And how does this not light a fire for you? Why? And it just wouldn't click with her. And it was extremely frustrating And I mean, it was beyond frustrating, but it really came down to just realized we had our core values were just different. And I could not stay with somebody that didn't, that it just didn't click with. And I think, and to segue a little bit into the discussion of foster care and these parents that adopt black children or children of color, I've been a foster care worker, been a licensor, CPS, all them. And I'm, I've trained foster parents. And in that training, they don't prepare you, address this stuff at all. Yeah, you already know. Like, they don't, it's not that's a thing. A whole, just, that's a whole other show, Zach. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And they, you know, they try to pull people in uh, just because they need homes. And I don't understand how to a black transracial adoptee talk about how people that adopt children 
it's adoption is one of the most selfish things you could choose. And that one stuck. And I was, I had to sit with that one for a minute. And I understood that adoption, foster care, whatever, is fulfilling something inside of the parents that do this. And if you are not willing to understand the true depth of what it means to be involved in the lives of children that don't look like you, you should not be around them, period. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm with you again. When I'm when I feel so aligned with someone, I feel like my head is bobbing because I'm in <laughs> such strong movement. And I don't think we can emphasize enough. If you adopt a black child or you are are co parenting to raise a child from the global majority, you are, you need to be about that life. Or you need yes. to not do it. Don't be walking around with their hair looking crazy. Right. Don't don't be thinking, you know, you can use privilege to not hear what you know you're going to hear and see what you know you're going to see. You're no longer a part of an individualistic culture. You're now part of a collective culture. Collect yeah. your ass knowledge and Real figure shit. out yeah. how to become a part of the abolition and not sit back as in the comfort of an ally. That pisses me off so much. Oh, my so, God. Are you saying that? And I had this conversation and I said to my ex-wife, you will one day have to explain why this didn't work out. Because I will. I'm going to be honest. And once Zay is old enough, I'll share that with him and Ro too. But he came to me the other day and they said, I heard Donald Trump's a good person. And I was like, okay, well, let me stop you there. And so I just explained to him in a kid-friendly way that he's not. Like he just went out to eat with somebody that hates black people. And that was just one of the things. So then... I got on Messenger and I was like, hey, I'm just letting you know we had this conversation and this is the kind of shit that you're going to have to own up to, to my ex. And uh, I'm just letting you know this is coming. And it's, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. No, I feel you. I feel you. So now I'm going to shift gears just a little bit again because your psychology today bio tones it down a bit. And it says that cultural competency is important to you. And you desire to create a safe space. And I'm going to challenge this because just based on how you present, right? Yeah. I mean, you obviously don't look mainstream. Uh, you look like, you know, a radical person is what they ever, whatever they call a radical. <laughs> yeah. Like your average white boy. How's that? Right, uh, right. <laughs> and so, you know, the idea of you cr- working cross-culturally in a therapeutic dynamic, I've struggled with the word safe. Because as I say to students when I'm teaching them, I've never experienced safety in my life. I don't, yeah, that's good. don't know what safety is. And I know other yeah. black bodies and bodies from, of color feel the same way. So how do you manage to think about what it might mean to create a space that's not re-traumatizing in that, you know, the macro infiltrates the micro. What goes on right. outside is in your body. So when you come into a therapeutic relationship with somebody who looks like a representative of the culture, how do you manage to, how do you manage that really is the question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I come in and I have clients that are uh, black clients or clients from different cultural backgrounds, I pretty much set the stage by saying, look, we experience life way differently. And I will probably get some things wrong. If I do, please correct me in any way that you see fit. And, you know, I only 
see life from one specific perspective, but I'm always going to try to be respectful and listen to your experiences and empathize as much as I can. But we're just, I don't experience life the same way that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I also think the other piece that's really important for white clinicians who work cross-culturally to say is that it is not your job to teach me. It's your job to stand up for yourself and I want to empower you because I can take whatever hit you need to give me. Because I never had a white therapist say that to me and I really wish they had. I spent money on teeth throughout my culture and if I could remember who they all were, I'd go back and have a conversation with them. (laughs) Right, right. For real, Yeah. So I appreciate that you open up with that. I have students who say, you know, well, when, when should I break it, bring it up? It's so uncomfortable. If you enter in that room with a person cross-culturally, it's your responsibility to create the, the opening for that conversation. It's not yeah. their responsibility. Like right. that's not your and it should be. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes. It's irresponsible. Basic. Right? It's basic. Yeah. It's basic. I'm at the point where I'm saying it's unethical. And why isn't, yes. the, you know, why isn't the licensing getting more involved in how unethical that is, right? Absolutely. So then, you know, I have some, some clinicians on who are African-American who have said they don't think white clinicians should treat black bodies or people from the global majority. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, honestly, it totally makes sense to me. That's not offensive. It's not like we practice regardless of how much decolonization deconstruction whatever other word we still practice from a position of privilege and sometimes we just can't offer what needs to be offered and that that does make sense to me i don't i don't have a problem with that at all i think that it's, it's important for, you know, my, so just for an example, my wife is black and my wife has talked about her experiences with therapy over the years. And I'm not going to get too much into her story, but it hasn't been a positive one. And she has talked about wanting to look into therapy down the road. And she wants a black woman as a therapist and no other exceptions. Like that's the plan. Right. And it just makes sense to me, you know. Okay. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Uh, The other thing is, I'm pretty sure we're on the same page with in the belief that therapy is not neutral. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of white bodied clinicians making a lot of money off of their social media, you know, espousing um, therapeutic sort of modalities and beliefs that are not. They're Eurocentric. They are not culturally competent, aware, culturally sensitive. And it, it just pisses me off so much that I know some people of color are watching them and taking that information and believing it. And they're making lots yeah. of money off that really, really angers me. So, yes. so right. You, you see it too. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. So I've challenged some of them and of course, you know, the fragility comes out. So that's right. But the point is you, you tone it down professionally to a degree. I understand why, but on the other hand, could you treat somebody who espouses white supremacy rhetoric? I mean, would that no. be? So, it, I, you know, I want to encourage you to come a little bit stronger on your professional uh, profile because I'm okay. not sure people, I'm not sure people know that. 
Yeah, no, that's that's good. I'll definitely adjust that later today, <laughs> actually. But I, I have had people in there that have said some reckless shit, some white people specifically, and I correct them on the spot. I'll be like, listen, like that language is not going to fly in here and I have a problem with that. Or these ideas that you have, I'm going to push back on them and I will not make it a safe space for that. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah. Like that. It's funny because I, you know, my intro is I'm not for everybody, you know, as a therapist and yeah. my website says it, my therapy, you know, website says it, obviously I have a podcast where clients can see, you know, the one thing that has given me longevity is being authentic and standing in my truth. Yes. When I talk, when I think about the places where I've been burnt out, it's because I have not stood in my truth in that way. Yes. I want yeah. to that and stand strong. The clients will Thank find you. you. The clients will find you. Trust me. Yeah. That's one thing that after, you know, my MMA fight or whatever, and after I entered the spiral, if you will, yeah. authenticity became my, life's goal, if you will. And I had just due to my own trauma and whatever growing up, you know, I knew how to maneuver all different social settings. I knew how to people please. I knew how to keep the peace if I needed to. Sure. But I said, fuck that. I'm not doing that anymore. This is who I am. If you don't like me, I don't really care. I'm still going to sleep good. But I try to I do carry that over into my therapy as well, but I, I like that idea and I'm definitely going to take that and apply that, what you just said. So I appreciate that. Right on, right on. So you went hard on one of your posts, man. I was like shaking my head. You were in a boat and you said you were on your way to see if the Pope made it safely to hell in time to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, let me finish it. You said... You wanted to make sure, you wanted to see if the Pope made it safely to hell in time to ring in the new year with Rush Limbaugh and Christy. Uh, Tell me about that. And what was, did you get any backlash from that? What was that? Like, excuse me. Actually, I didn't, but I also get shadow banned a lot on TikTok. So, oh, I mean, uh, I don't even have a big platform and I do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything regarding conversation of anything about whiteness or white supremacy they're like oh let's just yeah show that to we'll, 10 we'll get a 30 day rest right for really i don't yeah you know there's these public figures these white public figures that people idolize or i mean we talk about the pope and obviously we know what goes on in the catholic church and he couldn't even condemn that before he died so like sorry bro i don't really give a shit like you gotta go and you know, these ideas that all these white public figures have some, I feel like people treat them like they don't, like they're untouchable or their problematic stances on things are just an opinion or whatever, when really it's violent, like it's violence. And so I don't buy into this idea that you have to be respectful with these people or respect their legacy or whatever the bullshit is. I just, I'm going to call it how I see it. And I, and I'm going to use some shock so that people, it gets people to think, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. It makes sense to me. And look, I've said it a million times. The saddest thing in the world to me, aside from just the white supremacy we live in is that white people listen to white people when black yeah. people, saying what we've been saying for so many years and yeah. uh, while i appreciate white bodies 
you know, becoming more vocal and active, there is a sadness to the fact that, oh, now you hear what we're saying, right? you know, because of the messenger. It's just, it's more, more trauma, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I made a video about that too, where I was like, oh, like, you shouldn't be listening to me. Like, you need to listen to black creators, the black community. Don't like, I mean, I, I know you might listen to me, but this, I am not the person you should be taking this information from like, and that's a conversation I had back in 2020. I was like, some of you say you can talk about racism, white supremacy, all this shit, but you can't even hear it from me as a white dude. So how are you about to tell me that you're going to listen to the black community, but you can't even take it from me? Like you're, you're out of your mind. Right. And that's why I've recently over the past few months tried to be really intentional about well, specifically on TikTok, just like centering black voices as opposed to myself, because that's what's important. Yeah, I feel you on that. I appreciate that, too. You know, you challenged other white bodies about their public political stance not matching their personal life and how they don't challenge white supremacy in their inner circles. Talk about that, because I can um, see you talk the talk and walk the walk. So talk about that. Yeah. Oh, man, this one pisses me off because I know plenty of white people that we saw them performatively show up for a protest in 2020 and be like, I did my part, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, a week later, they don't give a shit anymore. And it's not that's not acceptable. You cannot speak on these things, pretend to care and pretend to be involved and not walk the walk. Like, people see through that shit immediately, especially in the black community, because I've been walking through this experience and just watching the white people fall off to the wayside. And some of the people that are close to me that are black would be like, yeah, we fucking knew that. Like, it's just a matter of time for white people. And there's, it's all lip service. It's lip service. And if, and if you cannot practice what you preach for me that's what i say like if you're not really about this like get the fuck out of the way yeah you know what yeah. i mean yeah you know and what i like about how you challenge them specifically is you were real specific you know you were real like if you're going to be performative in public life but you don't bring that into your home life the family the people with whom you share comfort then then you're you're lying you know basically yeah like, real clear it wasn't like you need to do this, that, and the other. Because on LinkedIn the other day, one of my previous guests, you know, he, he hit me up inbox and he was like, you know, I'm just, I'm hurting from these, these recent murders. You know, I, I essentially yeah. like it, this shit is hard. And I said, you know, I, I know I, I've been pretty fucked up consistently. And mm. one of the reasons I laid off a of teaching for a while is because I bring myself into the classroom and bring yeah. myself into the classroom week after week and sharing my trauma. It got real rough for me. Um, yeah. Black. I had to take a break for a minute. So I, I felt him on that. And I saw a post that he made about, you know, stepping forward at, into action. And white people did what white people do. You have anything we can read? You know, do you have something we can see? And then I just linked in the post and was like, I, if I see another person say, happy MLK day Jeez. and ask what to do, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so done being polite. And Absolutely trying to be patient with your your i don't know stance like yes. figure it out you have access to everything figure oh it out God. something 
we're the ones that had to learn our own history. Right, right, right. right. Like do a five second Google search, you know, (laughs) and and just to jump back to that point, you know, as far as people, social media is accessible to a lot of people and, you know, people post whatever they post. But then, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, does your family know where you stand? Do your friends know where you stand? Do your coworkers know where you stand? Do your acquaintances know where you stand? And if your answer is no, that's a problem because you're not, you're too scared and we can't be scared. It's now is not a time to be scared. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, you know, black bodies are scared every day. We still get up and do what yeah. we have to do. A friend of mine said, you know, oh, why don't I use my social media for that? Really? Uh-huh. That's a good one. I've heard that one. <laughs> now you don't use it to try to save black lives. That's interesting. You know, and then well, and that's ultimately, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's ultimately how I lost my last job. So. Welcome. Yeah. And that's well, not the first time it's happened. So. Right. That's why I but say I know it's part of the fired. deal. Hey, if you're not getting fired for the right reasons, something's wrong with, with how you're walking. Hell yeah. <laughs> I can agree with that. Um, Zach, you have a blended family, a blended mixed race family. Yeah. And I want to know, what do you know now that you didn't know before about how to co-parent this, this crew you have? You about to bring a little mixed race baby girl into the world. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Thank you. What, what do you know now? What do you know now? Listen to my wife. Listen to her experiences. Put her experiences above my opinion, above my knowledge, above what I think I know. Because she's got on my ass before and she's had to correct me a few times. And I had to sit with that. And I really honestly let her, not let her, she takes the lead. And I follow and I try to do my best to be the best dad that I can to all the kids, you know, and, but I really just try to default to, to how she does things, you know, and again, to her experiences and her experiences in life, we talk about this stuff all the time and she really just keeps my ass in check. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about this research because I've been doing this for way too many years. And a hundred years ago, I did this training and I found some research that said, you know, when you're raising mixed race kids, if the more oppressed parent takes the lead and teaches uh, the child about the oppressed experience and the more privileged parents teaches the child how to use privilege responsibly. This is how you raise a bicultural child that is ready for a world that is going yeah. to who's going to disapprove of who they are, essentially. Right. That's interesting, right? Yeah, that's heavy. That's good. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I use it all the time. Mm. Zach, uh-huh. it's been a pleasure. Look, I just wanna I wanna let I wanna come off the back. I, I knew you were gonna be interesting. I knew I knew I welcomed your intensity. I felt your vibe and I appreciated it. That's why I asked you to come on. It's been great. You know, I appreciate your, your social media platforms. I've just really enjoyed spending time with you. And I, I want you to know that straight out. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's what a pleasure and honor to talk to you, to be honest. Oh, thank you. It's really been a good time for real. Thank you. Let everybody know what your social media handles are because they need to be following you. Okay. TikTok is FTPX1312. 
my Instagram is gray matter, G R A Y matter two, three, one. My Facebook is also gray matter. And man, I haven't been on Twitter in a minute, so I'm not sure where it's at right now, but those are the ones that I'm mainly on. Okay. My man, thanks so much again. Let's be in touch. Okay. Have a great year and, and I hope to see you again. How about that? Sounds good. I appreciate that. You take care. Okay. All right. Thanks. I'll let you know when the show drops. Sounds good. We'll see you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 